Good morning, everyone. How are you this morning? Are the mothers excited to have some time with their sons? Survivor Sunday, is it called, I believe? I saw the water balloon war. We call that a water war. So if, you have your, if your sons have any attitudes with your moms, you're going to see it out there today. We pray that's not the case, though. Amen? You know, this morning, we're going to talk about Jesus, and we're going to talk about the Bible. And if you're visiting with us, we want to encourage you to investigate Christianity. We want to encourage you to get to know the Word of God, not just the theory of God. So we're a church that believes in the Bible. We're a church that follows the Bible to the best of our ability. We're a church that makes mistakes. We're a church that repents. Amen. Amen. That's who we are. That's what the Bible really describes God's people as. They are earnest, but make mistakes, but they re redirect their decisions and their course of life. We're going to be studying the book of Luke for several weeks, and I wanted to um, give you a little bit of background into Luke. Can you guys see the slides there from there? Maybe not. I hope so. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get out of the way of, of uh, how about over here? How about over here? Is it much better? Okay, a little to the right. It's what I told my barber. A little to the right there. Cut to the right. All right, here we go. So the book of Luke, it's called the Gospel of Luke, the good news from Luke. Now, Luke was a medical doctor, and he was a historian. He didn't walk with Jesus, but what he did do was walk with Paul. And he investigated the, the, the teachings of Jesus by talking to the eyewitnesses. And this book, is, as well as the whole Bible, is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Luke uh, wrote the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and he also wrote the history of the church in the, in the few years that it took off in the book of Acts. And in Colossians 4.4, you can see that he is a companion of Paul. Now, uh, the, the purpose of his book was to write to people that did not know Jesus or did not know God. So he mainly wrote to the larger audience, which were the Gentiles, which were the, the non-Jewish people. And in about 59-60 AD is what scholars believe the book was written. And the reason why we know he's written to the, the Gentiles is because he has to go in great detail to explain Jewish things. This is, the, this is where the, 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 the Sea of Galilee is. It's in this city. He had to really go out of his way to explain Jewish localities because the Gentiles had no idea. And also in the genealogy of, uh, in the book, it goes back to Adam rather than Abraham. The Jews, everything goes back to him. But for the Gentiles, they're just trying to describe how God had created mankind. So a couple good notes there for those who know the book of Luke. And the purpose was to affirm the faith of uh, a man named Theophilus that, uh, that Jesus' life is a historical fact. And then number two, that Jesus came for Jews and Gentiles. So they would know salvation and they would know God's kingdom. So this is a very interesting uh, gospel to read and it has some characteristics that the Bible is for all people. God is for all nations. Amen. Uh, he goes into details of the history of the time. If you read the book of Luke, he has, who was this governor? Who was that? Who was the emperor? He goes into detail because he wants them to know specific dates. The book emphasizes forgiveness. It emphasizes uh, prayer and repentance. Uh, it, it emphasizes uh, people that have self-sufficiency with material things. You know, it's one of the synoptic gospels. I mean, in other words, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all talk about Jesus, but from different angles and different uh, 
points of view. Some stories are the same, but some stories are new. So the book of Luke gives us that. What, what Luke is trying to teach us, the gospel is that Jesus saves. He saves all of mankind. He literally, he saves. Literally, he saves. Right? Jesus saves. Look in your Bibles in Luke chapter 1. Jesus saves. Luke chapter 1. In verse 1, it says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I have myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to, to me to write an orderly account for you most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. You know, Luke wants Theophilus to know. He may have been an, an, uh, an official in the Roman Empire. He wants not only Theophilus, he wants us to know. He wants us to know that he has carefully investigated who Jesus was. Because if you are going to lay your life down and sacrifice and consider the cross your anthem, you need to investigate who Jesus is. Too many people just go to church without truly investigating what God actually says in the Bible. Luke wants us to take time to investigate. It was the end of the school year. And the kindergarten teacher was receiving gifts from her pupils. The florist's son handed her a gift. She shook it, held it over her head, said, I bet I know what this is, some flowers. That's right, the boy said. But how did you know? Oh, just a wild guess. The next pupil was, was the candy shop owner's daughter. The teacher held her gift overhead, shook it. I bet I can guess what it is, a box of sweets. That's right, but how did you know? Asked the girl, oh, just a wild guess. The next gift was from the son of the liquor store owner. <laughs> the teacher held the package over her head, but it was leaking. She touched a drop of the leakage with her finger and touched it to her tongue. Is it wine? He says, no, the boy, the boy said with excitement. The teacher repeated the process, taking a larger drop of the leakage and put it on her tongue. Is it champagne? No, the boy replied, even getting more excited. The teacher took one more taste before declaring, I give up. What is it? With great glee, the boy replied, it's a puppy. <laughs> we cannot approach, when we cannot approach God or Christianity by raising up our hands and saying, oh, I know what church is like. I know what this is like. I know what that is like without really investigating. What the Bible truly says about Christianity. And we shake it up and we say, is it wine? Is it champagne? And we're totally off. Because what our perceptions were growing up are different than what the Bible truly says. So Luke wants us to investigate the Christian faith. Not just come to church, but to really look at. Let's talk about your effort this morning.
Does your effort and character investigate things that are important? Most likely we do. If we're going to buy a home, we investigate. If we're going to buy a car, we investigate. If we're going to purchase something, we're going to investigate. We, you know, there's a lot of great things about investigating, getting the best deal. As a Christian, how you sustain and investigate is determined by how you walk with God. Practical things. Do you actually read the Bible? Do you pray? If you claim to be a Christian, these are some of the basic functions. Our decisions are based off of our life, are based off a careful investigation of what God says to do when it comes to my family or my life. Because without spending time with God, I can be sure of this, you will not get to heaven. Because He won't know you. He won't recognize you. So let's look in verse 5 and get to the account of Luke here. In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time of the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. You know, this is a very dark time for God's people. There was no prophecy, there was no prophet that had spoken in 400 years, ending in the book of Malachi. There was nothing said for 400 years. The spiritual leaders at the time were shackled by tradition, corruption, and self-righteousness. And their supposed King Herod was a tyrant. He kept killing all his family members. No matter how dark the days, God works through people who are devoted to him. No matter how dark it becomes. You know, Zechariah and Elizabeth here in the account are a couple that fit that bill. Faithful through dark times. They wanted a child, but they did not have one. And in that time, children were a mark of blessing. It was a shameful thing not to have children. And, but they still observe, observed the Lord's commands. You know, Zechariah, his name means Jehovah has remembered. You know, Elizabeth's name, her, her name means God is my oath. Do you still obey God when your prayers aren't answered? How are you during your dark times? Do you still obey the Bible? Is your, is, your, is, your, is your phrase, God is my oath? God has remembered? How patient are you? How faithful are you? You know, dark times are going to come and go, and they're going to come again. Yeah. Hard times come and go and come again. Difficult times come and go, and they will come again. You know, when I got married, I thought my hard times were behind me. I'm on no, no more double dates. Free at last, free at last, free at last. Now I want more doubles. Help me. Help me. 
Hard times come and go. There are glorious times in marriage, and there's hard times in marriage. There's glorious times of being single, and there's hard times in being single. There's glorious times of being a college student, having, you know, very little responsibility in life. Then finals come. How do you do when there's dark times? You know, in verse 11, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or ferment to drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in spirit and in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You know, Zechariah was praying at this altar of incense, and this little, little uh, uh, aroma that goes up before God. And in Revelations, it equates that to the, the, the bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. You know, you know our prayers, during, even during dark times, are like a sweet aroma to God the Father. Amen. You know, uh, whenever I put a, a ribeye or a tri-tip on the grill and it's cooking, it's just a sweet aroma in the neighborhood. You know what I mean? Or my, my neighbor doesn't go on like, hey, what's going on there, Bill? It's a sweet aroma. Our prayers are heard and there is sweetness. It's a pleasantness to God to hear from us. You know, angels, when they appear to you, don't necessarily always bring good news. Some of them do and some of them don't. You know, the angels appeared in Sodom and Gomorrah. We know what happened there. An angel stood in the, in the road uh, when Balaam with his donkey. He had a sword drawn, drawn. You know, an angel destroyed 187,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. You know, Luke mentions the angels 23 times in his gospel. We don't see them, yet they're there. Amen. There are six aspects of John's character that Luke talks about. He'll be a great joy and delight. He will be a great sight to the Lord. He will never take wine or fermented drink. He will have the Holy Spirit. He'll bring back God's people from darkness. And he will go on before the Lord Jesus, the Messiah that is to come. John is the last Old Testament prophet in the Bible. He is the last prophet before the Messiah comes to earth. And that was Jesus. And that was exciting. And we know that because in Malachi chapter 3 verse 1, written 400 years earlier, says this. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me, then suddenly the Lord, you, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Also in Malachi, remember, 400 years earlier. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children 
and the hearts of children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Jesus confirms this. He says, John is this. John is, when he was written 400 years ago, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Jesus says this, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. John was very important. John was the last Old Testament prophet. He was preparing the way to free God's people again from the days of darkness. Your life may be thinking, my life is full of dark things. My marriage is not great. My life is not great. My family's not great. Well, have you really looked to Jesus? Have you really investigated Christianity? Have you really studied the Bible? Because I know for me, when I carefully investigate something like the Word of God, it changes my heart. It changes my daughter's heart. With my daughter, my, our correction is now with the Bible. It, I, we we, we want to grab her heart. Earlier on, it was, it was different kinds of you know, types of discipline. We're having, we're having had to have disciple time here to get her to understand God's will for her life. And same with my wife and I. How eager are you to spend time with other Christians and open the Bible and help each other spiritually? Amen. We spend way too much with hot dogs and barbecues and buns and not enough of the Word of God in our lives. And we wonder why we make terrible choices in life. We wonder why our family is straying from God. Because yeah. we're not carefully investigating. Like Dean said, yeah, we became Christians, but are we sustaining our Christianity? Are we continuing our Christianity? You know, verse 18. Let's continue. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you the good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. You know, Zechariah seemed to, seemed to have lost his, uh, his moment there. The angel comes, and he balks. You know, um, faith in the Bible is blessed because without faith you cannot please God Hebrews 11 verse 6 but unbelief is judged unbelief there's discipline so let me ask you a question how does God speak to us today God no longer sends angels and Gabriel's to us because we have the written word now Amen. we have the completed revelation of what God has to say to us and this is what all, is all we need. People that say, I don't know about God, have never truly investigated the claims of Christianity. And I want to encourage you, if you're a disciple, if you're visiting, if you grew up in the Christian faith, to examine what God says. Because to make a decision for your life without finding out what God says about it is foolish. Yeah. You can avoid so many unnecessary uh, tragedies by just consulting God 
and obeying what he says. And what he says sometimes is contrary to what we feel. And it comes and it begs the question, do I trust God? Do I truly trust Him? Or do I trust my feelings more? How much do you trust the Scriptures? You know, the Bible deals with two things. Well, actually three. It deals with our hearts. It checks our attitudes. And it checks our thoughts. We're thinking this way, and it checks it. You know when your wife does that sometimes? You say, we're going to do this. She's like, that's not a good idea. You know, she's checking your thinking process. Like, are you sure about that? You know, and I'm like, that's what the Bible does. Or your children goes, Dad, you're speeding. Am I? You're going a little fast. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, 16 or 25. It's pretty fast. You know, all along our life, someone is checking our thinking. But is this checking your thoughts and attitudes? We're used to it in different ways, but is this doing it? Because this is true. This is from God. So is this really checking our thoughts and attitudes? That's why the Bible is so relevant. The Bible is a living document. It is alive because it relates and connects to our sinfulness. That's why it's, when we read it, we're like, how did the preacher know? I didn't know anything. No one comes to me and tells me your life and then I prepare a lesson. It's just the words of God going, wow, how, did, how is that happening? Because God is trying to connect to you, trying to reach you, trying to help you. You know, your life decisions when you get married, in your family, your job. It tells you how to deal with your employer. Yeah. It tells you what to, exactly what to do when your boss is a jerk. Yeah. It tells you exactly what to do. It tells you exactly what to do if your boss is a disciple. You want to know the answer? Look it up yourself. Amen. Look it up. It's got so many. How to raise your kids. Yes, it's got in there, how to encourage your wife. Oh, yeah, it's in there, too. How to get along with your neighbor. Oh, it's in there, too. Right? It's got a lot of answers. That's right. Amen. The sad part is that we make so many decisions for our lives, and we don't even look at it. Yeah. We go on our logic, our thinking. This makes sense. And we stray off the path. We stray off. So I want to encourage you to really look at the Bible. Verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor, and taken away my disgrace among the people. There is Elizabeth, whose name means God is my oath. Living a life of disgrace. Living a life where everyone says hello except to you. Living a life of shame. 
And she was faithful in prayer. And she says, God has done this. Amen. She didn't say, I believe in science. She didn't say that. She didn't pull that line out. She says, God has done this for me. Not generally speaking, for me. She understood that God generally, genuinely knew her, cared about her thoughts, cared about her feelings, cared about what, what the perception was of the society. She believed God really knew that. And it's true. God is faithful. And God does hear you. I want to encourage you to study the Bible with us and to learn what God wants for your life. Amen. I want to really encourage you. If you're visiting, I want you to, to really commit to learning about the Bible. Someone in this room would love to help with that. I also want to encourage those who have not spent time with other Christians to open the Bible with each other, to, to be very open and vulnerable with your life, and to get the help you truly and desperately need. We call that a discipleship time, where two disciples get together. Let's put the burgers and dogs aside, and let's truly grow and change. Yeah, there's time for burgers and dogs. That's awesome. We're going to have some today, right? But I want us to be a church of the Bible. Amen. A church of the scriptures, that we investigate. So mothers, enjoy your time with your sons today. Enjoy your relationship with your son. Dads, if you have daughters, it's a great time to take her on a date. It's a great time to say, honey, we're going to go on a date today, you and I, just me and you. It's a great time to do that, you know, frequently. Karen and I are going to start up again. We do it during the school year. We take our children each week on a, on a daddy-daughter day or a father-son hangout time after school. Just for about an hour, we go hang out. We get an ice cream cone. And we spend time together and we talk. And it's encouraging. So I want to encourage you. And I got that from the, from the Bible. That wasn't there. Because your father's heart has to turn to your son. You know how it said there? Because a lot of times I'm busy. But if I don't read the Bible, my heart won't turn to my children. You know, you're busy with your jobs and money and bills, right? But if you don't read the Bible, your heart won't turn to your children. You'll just stay busy and remain busy. And your, Christians, your, your children will wonder, what does it really mean to be a Christian? So thank you for your time. God bless you. Mothers, have a great time with your sons. Amen. Take care, guys.